So we turn now to, to God's Word. If you have uh, your bulletin, you'll find, you'll find our passage over on page 3. Numbers chapter 20. We've been studying through the book of Numbers uh, here on Sunday mornings. It's the, the period of uh, God's story where his people, Israel, are in the wilderness, right? Been rescued out of Egypt, but they're not yet in the promised land. These 40 years of, of wandering in the wilderness. Uh, and the passage we'll read this morning, uh, if you kind of compare it with a few other passages in Deuteronomy, you realize that we're now at the very end of the wilderness period. Uh, something like the 39th year of their wilderness wandering. We're at the end uh, of that period, which is significant because it's, this passage is remarkably similar to what happened at the very beginning of the wilderness period. Uh, on not now year 39, but back in year 1, when, when Israel had just come out of Egypt, a passage, an incident very, very similar, where God's people are in the wilderness and they're thirsty, uh, and, they, and they grumble against the Lord, and yet the Lord provides water from the rock. That was the very beginning, uh, and now here we are, the very end of their wilderness journey, and we read now what happens. Let's, let's turn to God's word and read from Numbers 20, 1 through 13. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle, and why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff. And assemble the congregation, you and your Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he was commanded, as he commanded him. And then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you do not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Let's pray again. Lord, you, you tell us that though the grass withers and the flowers fade, uh, the word of our God will stand forever. 
We do pray that you would use this powerful standing word to, to challenge and to refresh your people here this morning. We depend upon you and the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, summer is a great time to study this passage. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing probably somewhere in just the last week, you're outside on one of these hot days and working and thirst. Bad thirst. Kids, were you? Was there a time this week you were outside playing around? Maybe it was one of those hot days and you were playing outside and all of a sudden you noticed you were incredibly, incredibly thirsty. Water. I need water. Yeah? Right? And then how refreshing uh, when you actually get that water. Right? How it just feels like life. A little taste of the wilderness and the need for water and the, the life-giving provision of water. So we've maybe experienced it physically, but I bet we've also experienced it spiritually. Have you found yourself lately feeling spiritually parched? Right? The, the world around just seems dry and barren, and you just feel spiritually just parched. Right? Maybe it's the hardships of the world piling up, it seems like one after the other. Or maybe it's, maybe it's someone else's sin that kind of just weighs on you. Maybe it's the battle with your own sin that just is wearying and tiresome and you just spiritually feel dry, parched. Well, here is a wonderfully challenging and encouraging passage for the spiritually thirsty. God encouraging us. Uh, from his word, with just how shocking uh, his provision and love and grace really are for the spiritually thirsty. Uh, but we begin with the, with the temptations, uh, because in the wilderness, thirsty souls will be tempted. Uh, and, and we're reminded of it, and we're reminded to be on guard. Uh, be tempted in a, in a couple of ways. We list two different ways in the bulletin that come out of the, come out of the text here. In the wilderness, thirsty souls will be tempted first, to repeat the same sins. As we mentioned earlier, this passage, uh, almost identical to what happened uh, almost 40 years previously, when the people of God are just coming out of Egypt. right? Just coming out of Egypt, they've just seen God do these amazing miracles, the ten plagues that judged Egypt and brought them out. God is just... Uh, parted the Red Sea waters so that they can pass by, and yet the armies of mighty Pharaoh are defeated. God's just provided manna in the wilderness, and they come to a place where there's no water, and what do the people of God do? They don't go to the Lord, the God who has just shown how powerful he is and how, how much he provides for his people. They don't turn to him in, in, in petition and prayer. Instead, they, they grumble. And they complain, and they complain against Moses, and and uh, and and grumble against the Lord. But God provides for them anyway. Uh, but here we are at the end of the wilderness journeys, in year thirty-nine or so, and it's the exact same circumstance. Uh, yet again, they're in a place there's no water, and again they rebel and grumble against uh, the Lord. In some ways, they actually seem to complain more here. So far from kind of learning and growing, they, they actually seem to complain more here. Look at some of the details of what they say. Verse 3, for example. 
uh, and the people quarreled with Moses, would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. So if, you, if you're with us for the past couple weeks, can you, can you guess what he's referring to? Remember, I guess it was two weeks ago, uh, when we studied the rebellion of Korah. Remember, there was that Levite uh, and 250 ringleaders with him. who They wanted to be priests, and they rebelled against the Lord. And God lined them all up before the tabernacle, before his holy presence. And remember, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed Korah and the others. And now here you have the people of Israel in the wilderness. And they're saying uh, to Moses, you know, it would be so much better if we were just like Korah. Really? Okay, well, let's keep going. Uh, verse 5, for example. Um, and why have you made us come up out of Egypt uh, to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Okay, pomegranates, figs, grapevines. Again, if you've been here for, for a little bit, can you remember the last time you heard about pomegranates, figs, and grapevines? Uh, it was a couple chapters back when God sent spies into the land. And one of the things they were supposed to look at, look for in the land was what, what kind of produce is there in the, in the promised land? And the spies come back, and they mention uh, three things specifically. Pomegranates, figs, and grapes. But God's people refused to go into the promised land, rebelling against the Lord, not trusting him. They refused to go into the land. And yet here they are in the wilderness, and they're complaining that they don't have pomegranates, figs, and grapes, the very things that God would have given them, uh, but now they're complaining because they rebelled against the Lord. Right? You see the, the, the irony and, and just the, really the, the ridiculous nature of their sin? Uh, it's, it's, it sounds almost laughable. Right? You'd rather be like Korah and consumed by, by okay, uh, you, you, you're complaining about what God already promised to give you? Um, but in many ways, this is really what sin is. Uh, at its heart. It is. Sin is irrational. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous um, at its core, right? The, the, the sensible thing, the logical thing, is, is to trust the Lord and walk in his ways, right? The God who made everything, the God who promises uh, his people to provide and shows again and again that he does indeed care for his people, the logical, sensible thing is always for us to, to trust this God. Um, but yet, uh, in, uh, in our sin, uh, the ridiculous often seems like the right way to go. I, I, I bet you if you look back over the past week or two and you think about, you think about a particular sin that you were tempted to or even fell into and, and, and messed around with, I bet you you could look back at a distance of a week or two and say, you know what, that, that actually was really ridiculous. Maybe it was just like the Israelites, uh, that it was, it was something that you, a sin that you'd committed many times before. Uh, it never worked out very well before. Uh, it always ended up in a mess. Uh, and, and yet you thought, you know, but this time it's going to work. This, this time is different. This time I'm going to be blessed by this ugly thing. Right? It, you, know, you know, you look back and it, it probably does look ridiculous. Well, sin is uh, irrational and, and ridiculous. Yet that's the that's the the challenge and the and the twistedness uh, of, of of it. But let's turn in this in this uh, in this Numbers twenty episode to what's different 
about this time versus what happened 40 years previous. And there, here we look at Moses and his response to the situation. We could put it this way. In the wilderness, thirsty souls will be tempted to play judge and dishonor God. Uh, so God tells Moses here, Numbers 20, at the end of the journey, take your staff, assemble the brothers, you and your Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Now that's different than what happened uh, before in Exodus 17. There Moses was told to take the staff and strike the rock. Right? The staff, that was the staff that uh, Moses used back in Egypt. It was the staff that, that was used by God and appointed by God to bring forth some of the plagues in Egypt. Uh, it, was, it was a staff of judgment. And so, kids, you might remember, Moses was told to take his staff and strike the Nile River. And the Nile, the water becomes blood. It's God's judgment. Here's the life-giving Nile, and yet it turns into death. And the symbol is God's rod, God's staff of judgment striking the river. So here now in the wilderness, Moses is told, Exodus 17, the first time, is told to take that staff, that staff of judgment, uh, and, and well, what the people deserve because of their grumbling is that they would be struck. But instead, God doesn't strike them with judgment. Instead, he strikes the rock and water this world. That was Exodus 17. Now we now fast forward 39-some years, Numbers 20. Again, people are grumbling. Again, God says to Moses, here's how you're going to provide. But the instructions are different. Don't strike the rock, Moses. Speak to the rock. Actually, God doesn't even say a single word of, of rebuke uh, or, or judgment about this. He just says, Moses, speak to the rock, water for my people. But, but Moses gets that instruction from the Lord, and he clearly doesn't like it. Because uh, he responds very, very differently. God's, don't, no, no words of judgment, no symbols of judgment, just... just Speak and give the people water. But yet, uh, Moses gathers the people, and first of all, he gives this stinging rebuke, something that God didn't tell him to say, but Moses feels like, oh, they really need to hear this. Verse 10, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Uh, so, so he rebukes them in a way that God never tells him to do. Uh, he also seems to imply that he's the one who's actually going to do this. Shall we give you water? Um, clearly, he's not in a great place. Uh, and then he does exactly what, uh, he, he completely ignores what God told him to do. God said, speak to the rock, verse 11, and Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice. The people get water, um, but Moses ignores and dishonors God. Um, interestingly enough, he becomes the very thing he rebukes them for being. Right? What does he say to them? Here now, you rebels. Well, what, is, what is he doing? He himself has become a rebel. He himself is ignoring God. Uh, as, as God puts it, not believing God, not honoring God as holy. Uh, and he, he decides to, to play God. I don't like God's plan of being merciful. I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them some judgment in the midst of this. Uh, right? God didn't, that wasn't God's intention for Moses at that point. Uh, but Moses decides he's going to play God. He, he, he rebels, becomes the very rebel that he rebukes them 
for being. And in the process, it dishonors, dishonors God. Uh, you might remember in Paul's letter to the Romans in the New Testament, Paul starts out by, by showing that there is no one righteous anywhere. He starts off with talking about the nasty Gentiles and all the wicked things that they do. But then, then he goes to, to the people of God, the covenant community. You could, you could say that the churchgoers. Uh, and he's going to remind them that, yeah, they too are unrighteous. And the first thing, the main thing that he, he, he shows, demonstrates their unrighteousness, uh, they're guilty like the Gentiles, is Paul says uh, that they practice the same wickedness that they condemn others for. Number one, uh, exhibit A of why uh, the, the church-going people are unrighteous, they practice the very same wickedness that they condemn others for. Yeah, like Moses. You rebels! And Moses himself is living out rebellion uh, against God. Sadly, uh, sadly, that's us too, isn't it? I, I, I bet that if you and I spend a little time looking back through some of the sins uh, that, that we're, we're quickest to challenge other people on, or, or quickest to get annoyed at in other people, or, or, or quickest to get angry at in others, I bet you they're the same sins that we struggle with, even commit, in some form or fashion. Uh, we, uh, like covenant community down through the ages, struggles with this condemning others for the very same wickedness we we practice. Uh, we want to play judge uh, and in the process dishonor God. This is, this is the wilderness-like temptations. And so a temptation, a temptation to, to repeat the same sins, a temptation to play God and dishonor him. Uh, but God provides water anyway, which really is the, the shocking part of the passage. Now, here are God's people, and they look awful. They look like after 40 years they've gotten worse. Uh, even their leader is joining in the rebellion. Moses was supposed to be different. And yet God gives water anyway, abundantly. There's the power of the, uh, of the passage, exactly what they don't deserve. Uh, the life-giving water flows by God's determination, by God's uh, plan from the rock. Now, here's where we need to realize that, that the Bible is a story. God is, God is going somewhere. And, and we read a couple passages this morning from the New Testament that start to connect the dots of where this story is headed. And one of the key ones was there in 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul's referring back to this wilderness wandering age. And he said, there were those people back in the wilderness, God's people, uh, they drank the same spiritual drink from the rock, and he says, and the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. That rock in the wilderness that gave undeserved, life-giving water to God's people, that's a picture and a shadow of Jesus. Jesus, the giver of living water. It's something that, that you read of uh, again and again in the New Testament. We read a couple passages this morning. Uh, John 7 is a, is a powerful one. Uh, we, we read it. It's, it. If you want to look at it, it's down at the bottom of page 2 there in your bulletin. Here's Jesus in the middle of his ministry, 
and he's in Jerusalem for one of the great feasts. And, and uh, third, verse 37 says, it's on the last day of the feast. Now, specifically, this is the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, which is that feast in the Jewish calendar where you celebrate the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Uh, so uh, here's people of Jesus' day, uh, and for this seven-day-long feast, uh, they're remembering and bringing to mind what happened all the way back in the days of Moses, this 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And so by the time Jesus gets to this last day of the feast, uh, all of God's people are in Jerusalem for seven days have been thinking, wilderness, wilderness, wilderness. And specifically, they've also been reminded of water in the wilderness. Uh, in Jesus' day, there was a ceremony that was performed in Jerusalem every day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, the priest would take a golden pitcher and, and fill it full of water and then uh, process up to the temple. It, it was a reminder of, of God in the wilderness. He provided water. He provided water. And God's people longing for, uh, for, for water from the presence of the Lord again. Uh, and every day uh, that would happen, water up to the Lord, water in the wilderness. And pe the people are thinking again and again about this. And on the final day, Jesus stands up and he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me. Jesus makes this astounding claim that he is the source of living water. That he is the rock uh, through which God provides life-giving water to his people. Uh, that he's the one, uh, as he goes on to say, that the one who believes in him, the one who comes to him, gets, gets water, life from the Lord, undeserved. Right? Which, which is exactly what Jesus gives. What he, the life that Christ gives is free. right? We don't deserve any of it, uh, and we don't have to pay for any of it. Uh, we come and, and receive for free. Though free for us, it costs Jesus everything, doesn't it? How is it that Jesus can, <clears throat> can provide living water for us? Well, it's because he was the rock that was struck. Right? Remember uh, back in, in the wilderness, in order for that rock to give forth its water the first time, uh, that very specifically God said, take that, uh, that staff, that rod, that staff of judgment, right? Strike the Nile River and God's judgment comes on the Nile. That same staff of God's judgment, the people deserve it, but they don't get struck. What gets struck? The rock. The rock that was Christ, right? That picture of, of, of people don't get struck with God's judgment. Christ gets struck in their place. So that because Christ gets the judgment in their place, water comes for God's people. Uh, and so that's exactly uh, what, what we see fulfilled in the life of Jesus, right? He's the, he's the righteous one, uh, and we're the ones who deserve God's judgment. And yet what happens as Jesus goes to the cross? He is judged. Uh, he bears the judgment. Not twice, right? Once. Once for all, right? Probably that's why uh, the second time this comes up in Numbers you don't strike the rock a second time. Because this only needs to happen once. Uh, once for all, the rock is struck. God's judgment falls on Jesus. You remember, and actually it's John's Gospel again, no coincidence, uh, that in John's Gospel, he reports one of the things that Jesus says on the cross 
uh, as he's bearing God's judgment, God, uh, Jesus says, I thirst. Think of it. He's bearing the wilderness judgment that in order to take the curse for us, Jesus thirsts and he's given no water. He dies. Right? He bears our judgment. So the result for us is water. And again, John even gives a picture of it. We, we, we read it there uh, in, in, that, in that final uh, scripture reading passage, that after Jesus was crucified, he's dead now. Uh, the soldier pierces his side, and what comes out of his side but a flow of blood and water. And in John's gospel, it's a powerful picture. Right? Blood, of course, is that which atones for sin, covers, forgives sin, but a flow of water, right? It's water from the rock. Right? The, the rock has been struck once for all. It's done. And now what is there that comes flowing out for God's people? Uh, but water that gives life. Uh, Jesus dies for us. And which is why he's able to come to us this morning and says, and say to you and say to me, if anyone thirsts, then come to me and drink. Uh, this, is, this is the beginning of the Christian life, running to Jesus uh, in our thirst, and really, it's it's every day of the Christian life, realizing that uh, that that we're well to use the use the psalmist language. We're in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Uh, have you have you felt that out? Have you discovered that? Have you felt that recently? Uh, that that this is a dry and weary land where there is no water. Uh, there there the things of this world, even the best of the created things. They never really can quench your thirst, can they? Uh, that, that spiritual thirst, you could try, but it never works. Uh, and, and we tend to try a lot of different things to quench our thirst, and it doesn't, it doesn't satisfy. So uh, the real question is, in the midst of the dry and weary land, well, okay, what do we do with it? What do we do in that dry and weary land? Uh, and again, whether it's uh, for the first time, or whether it's every day of your Christian life, which is really what we're called to, we're to see that we're in this dry and weary land where there is no water, and we run to the, we run to the one who gives true living water, who quenches spiritual thirst. We run to Jesus. We, we turn uh, from our sin, and we run, we run to him, realizing here is the one who satisfies. I've been, I've been reading uh, in uh, Jeremiah in my devotions this week, and, and there's this powerful image of, of water in Jeremiah 2. Now, here's, here's what Jeremiah says, uh, God says through the prophet. Uh, he says, For my people have committed two evils. Uh, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Uh, a cistern, it's a pit you dig in the, in the ground to hold rainwater which is pretty important back in, in Israel where there weren't a lot of rivers, you, you got water because it rained. Uh, but here's this, here's this pit uh, described here, but it's, but it's broken. In other words, it doesn't really hold water. Uh, the water leaks out, which means all you get at the bottom of this pit that you're digging is just muddy sludge at the bottom. Uh, so here's God saying to his people, really? Right? I offer you a fountain of living water, clean water, and, and, and you're you're digging out a, a muddy pit. 
Maybe, maybe that's you. You can see yourself in some area of your life, uh, and you're and you're tempted to just dig a little muddy pit for yourself. Here, here's here's this thing in the world or that thing, and and you're thinking, okay, this is this is going to be it. This is going to satisfy, and you're you just sooner or later realize I'm just digging in mud, and all I'm getting is sludge. But here's the good news of what Jesus has done through His work, what He delights to give. To all who come to him, it's a fountain of, of, of living water. And that's really part of a key part of what the Christian life is, is each day reminding ourselves uh, that, that there is something better. There is true, real life, Jesus, and what he gives. His spirit, his presence, uh, his encouragement, his strength. Uh, as we go to him, and there is refreshing, life-giving water. We, we do live in a wilderness, don't we? It, 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 is, a, it is a dry and weary land. Uh, and, and you'll discover that this week. You'll be reminded of it. Uh, you're, you're, going to, you're going to realize afresh, oh, yeah, this is a dry and weary land. Again, it's well, what do we do with that? Well, we remind ourselves of what Jesus did for that. Uh, is that he was the rock that was struck. Uh, he was the one uh, who, though we bore the judgment, he took it for us uh, once for all. Uh, and having been struck by God's judgment in our place, there's no judgment left for us. The only thing left for us is, is life-giving water. Uh, and that's what he says to us. If anyone, if anyone thirsts, then come to me and drink. Have you seen how, how Jesus refreshes Right? That's ultimately what he promises in the new heavens, the new earth, the, the promised land. Full, full satisfaction, but he gives it here too. Have you seen it? I don't know about you. I feel like the, the longer I go in my Christian life, uh, I, I get convinced of two key things. This, land, this world is far drier and wearier than I thought. And Christ is far more refreshing than I thought. Uh, have you been reminded of that? refreshed by that. Uh, it's, it's, it's the encouragement that comes from the Savior, your Savior, as, as you turn to Him. Listen to it. Uh, take it to heart. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let's pray together. Lord, as your people, we do come to you in the wilderness. We do come to you as those who have uh, who have far too often grumbled and complained and, and, and run to all the wrong things, dug in all the wrong pits. But we're thankful for your mighty, surprising love and grace. Lord, refresh your people through your Son. Uh, Lord, and through your Spirit, draw us close. Show us where life is and give us peace and rest in you, even, even peace in the wilderness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.